Hello, everybody, and happy Halloween. If you're listening as this beautiful episode releases, um, if you're listening and it's Friday, Halloween's what? Two days away. It's exciting time. A lot of movies are out. A lot of people are rewatching movies. One thing I, I can never keep up with is like in my mind online and whatnot, it seems like more and more every year, everybody I know in October is just like, all right, it's only scary movies. And I'm just, it's, that's not ever been me. <laughs> so I always feel very like FOMO left out in the cold where I'm like, all right, I guess people are just watching scary movies. But anyway, we're here to talk about a specific filmmaker on the B side for the film stage here. As you know, we talk about uh, film stars or filmmakers, not the movies that made the famous, kept the famous, but the ones that they made in between. And today we're talking about the one and only, really a legend. And I will, we'll talk about that. A guy who I, I have a renewed appreciation for, um, Wes Craven. Um, Wesley and as always, Earl. Wesley Craven. Earl. Uh, raised quite religiously, which is interesting. And, you know, I feel like it's like so many filmmakers of his ilk. Um, and as always, I'm with Connor O'Donnell. Connor, how are you? What are you What are you going to be for Halloween, Connor? Oh, you know what? Question. Honestly, as of this recording, that's a good question. I think we're gonna have, I think we're gonna have a few people over, and usually we'll do like some fun costumes or whatever. Yeah. I had, I did have one idea, because uh, I thought it would be a relatively simple thing to do, which is go as the couple from Poltergeist. Oh, that's I mean, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. But my can wife, you carry around a TV with like a right, right? I mean, look. I mean, if we're being honest, we're like th those people that like we do it for like the one Instagram photo, and that's kind of it, kind of thing. Uh, but uh, I feel like you're offending our guest because I know he's <laughs> very much likes the whole vibe. No, um, no, I love I love uh, Halloween. Uh, I, I I am one of those people you mentioned, Dan, that like October hits and I have like I got my list ready. Right. Like, saying, here, yeah. here are the things I'm going to crush. I'm not as I'm not as like sort of adherent to it as some people in terms of like I will watch other things. But I, I definitely try to like accumulate a backlog uh in the past couple of years i've tried to get better about not putting my favorites on there again and instead like actually seeking out new ones yeah like last year i dove into like hammer horror really for the first time which was a lot of fun i've done more of that this year too but I've oh yeah last year joe we did peter cushing for yeah which was so it was a so we, we watched some of his older movies so uh our guest, our esteemed guest, our esteemed colleague and guest is um, Joe Bandelli, writer, director, producer, whose documentary, Unknown Dimension, a story of paranormal activity, sorry, uh, if you're listening, is mo most likely either available or just about to be available on Paramount+. Plus. Um, and it obviously tells the story of the making of the iconic horror movie, Paranormal Activity. Joe, what are you going to be for Halloween? Uh, you guys said a bunch of things there that I really was like, I want to jump in, but I didn't want to interrupt you. Oh, go, please. <laughs> go, go for a long time. Go off. Um, first off, uh, I am going to be the Winter Soldier for Halloween. Oh, uh, that's great, man. Okay. I've been, cool. I've been growing my hair for two years. Maybe because of the pandemic, maybe not. But I've been growing my hair for practically two years wow. for this moment. So, um, <laughs> But I'm one of those people that 
when I got done with college, there was probably a five to seven year range where I would spend like two to three thousand dollars on my Halloween costume, and I would God build bless it. you. I, yeah, God bless I can, you. I, I I appreciate the game, brother. Do you have so? Do you have like a really sweet bionic arm? So here's the thing: I spent two grand on it and on, on the costume. And <laughs> the one thing I can tell you is I'm not overly thrilled with the, with the arm, but it's gonna look good. I just know that I really wanted to spend like six thousand dollars because then I would have had the really good arm. <laughs> I just I'll you spent you. you spent a Blumhouse movie. I did. You spent a Blumhouse movie on the, your the, I um, it's one of these things. The older I get, that you know, because I you know very openly and 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 we'll we'll talk about it. Obviously, Wes Craven, as I said, is our subject and the three movies we're going to focus on, but we'll talk about his career as we normally do are uh, Swamp Thing, The People Under the Stairs and Curse, which kind of very appropriately track his larger career. Um, And these are obviously a little lesser seen movies, though I know People Under the Stairs has gathered, garnered uh, a lot of respect over the years as well. It should uh, have, but horror is like the last genre for me and that's just that's just you know how does that happen i don't know i you know i wasn't raised on it i oh i always was scared like you know i can tell you a million stories of like like Candyman still is so the original was still is still so haunting to me that when they remade it i was like i can tell you one thing for for damn sure I'm not seeing it because I was like the original that's, messed me up so bad. That's one though that I think even I think even seasoned horror people would agree that that movie is disturbing. I, mean, I guess terrible. I just my my point is my point is even if you think it's disturbing, I think for Joe, I imagine you'd agree with me. Um, like you would revisit it or like celebrate it if it disturbed you, maybe because it worked. Which I I obviously acknowledge that Candyman worked. But I avoid it because of the same reasons. Well, you know what I'll, I mean? tell, I'll tell you one thing. I know that a lot of people disagree with my stance in this, but I don't necessarily think that most horror films, if not all horror films, stand the test of time. I think yeah. I think horror film, even though I love the genre, I work in the genre, um, I'm tattooed all over me because of the genre. I still think that horror movies work for the time that they're in and they're a correlation of what happens it's how what's happening in the world and what's scaring people the most and i think it's impossible to take a new audience 40 years later and give them that same exact dose of what happened in that time and make them feel the same way you might have nostalgic suspense or horror or anything like that similar like what you were saying to candy man but i i think when you're you're actually looking for actual terror or actual horror and actual scares i don't think it'll hit the same way i don't think it stands the test of time like you know not to jump down a rabbit hole but like everyone considers psycho one of the best horror scenes the shower scene that move if you watch it now if you show if your kid grows up and he's 20 years old and you show him Psycho for the first time, he is not going to be scared by that. Right, There's going to be right, nothing right. about it that's scary to him. Right. That's true. I mean, I think, yeah, you're showing it to him and pointing out the technique, right? And, and explaining why this is so. And we should, I want to mention actually, um, you directed a horror movie. And I, 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 I even think of it because. Um, you know, we all work together. We're all friends. We're I, I, we've been wanting to do this in some capacity for the B side, um, and it, it's so perfect. We're recording right before Halloween, and you know, Wes Craven is a great subject. 
you directed a movie called Hell House from a few years back. I produced it. I didn't direct it. Oh, sorry. You produced it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And, and who, who say the director's name? Just Stephen Cognetti. Yes. Yes. Thank you. So yeah. Stephen Cognetti directed. You produced it. It's, I think, a very effective movie. I'm obviously, I'm an easy target with these things. But I was laughing because you were like, I was, we were talking about other stuff. I write things. We were talking, whatever. And you're like, oh, hell else. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, you, you, know, you produced all these things. I got to watch. I got to watch one of these movies. So I like watched it that weekend. And it was one of those things where like, I was just like, oh, let me watch my buddy's movie. And it was like, it really scared me. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about this. I hate this shit. This scares me so much. Because it has like a really good, I won't give anything away. It has like, I think it's one of these movies like. It's a found footage movie, right? But it's pretty yeah. well done in how you kind of employ it. And like, it has this last 10 minutes that I was like, fuck this movie. I was like, <laughs> so thoroughly like uh, nonplus. I was like, okay, buddy. But it was very well done. So we should just mention Hell House, uh, which has its own following, obviously. If, if, you, if you are a we, fan, we you have a know. very, very rabid fan base. And right, I love right, right. every one of those fans. They're <laughs> yeah. amazing. They're so awesome. There, there are people who tell us that it's their favorite movie they've ever seen in their entire life. And oh, we're I like, love it. Uh, all right. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> that's got to feel good, though, right? I mean, that's such a yeah. great, that's such a cool 100%. thing. Um, so, yeah, so definitely check that out. Um, you know, tis the season, as it were. Even even as the season comes to an end, you can still squeak it in. Um, but so, okay, Wes Craven. Um, how did we come to Wes Craven in our lives? I feel like we're all the same age. Is it – I mean – I don't want to skip it, but like, is it scream for all of us? Like, where's Wes Craven? Where, where did he jump into your, like Joe? It was definitely Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, okay. I, yeah, I, right. I, I, yeah I, I don't know. I think I might be a little older than you guys, but I, it was Nightmare on Elm Street for sure, because I remember specifically most of the things that I actually wound up liking and appreciating. I, I didn't really appreciate until I was a teenager, but mm. I saw Nightmare on Elm Street when I was really young. And I remember my mom, who's a single mother, she went back to college and she was putting herself through college. And my brother and I were being watched by her boyfriend. He was a, he was a sergeant in the army. Sergeant Herbie oh. Kennedy it was the first time I'm naming him publicly. <laughs> he had a belief that because we were boys, we needed to grow up to be men. And oh, he God. held us down and made us watch Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> and oh, Jesus. tormented us. <laughs> tormented us uh, yeah and to my mom's credit when she found out he did stuff like this she broke up with him but needless to say uh we were terrified well that's a i yeah and that's a movie okay i saw it later i personally think maybe you'll disagree um that of all of the of the four four three of of texas chainsaw friday the 13th halloween four uh, and uh, and fucking nightmare. The one that I think is the scariest, and I I guess I think I think maybe this is not true, is nightmare because of the dream thing, like the dream logic thing to me. You mean concept- is, conceptually, like conceptually, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. The idea of just like you, when you sleep, you can't, you have no control because yeah, you're surrendering sure. yourself to the night, and like that dreamscape hellscape thing. That like really bothered me. Like when I finally saw that movie, like the idea of shutting your eyes and like and like relinquishing control, that to me is the thing that makes Freddy scarier than the other ones, which I know a lot of people would say with Michael Myers, it's like the you know, the evil the relentlessness of evil and everything. So yeah. I don't know how you guys feel about that. But anyway. No, no, I was just gonna say, I think that's a fair point. Like I I so 
I feel like as a movie that wasn't my intro, like mm. in terms of Wes Craven, but it was definitely the first one I watched. Like, but I didn't, you know, I didn't fucking know who Wes Craven was when I watched it. Right. Um, I had a one of my That's older siblings uh, had a she had a big crush on Johnny Depp, obviously. And my yeah, old my one of my brothers who was older than both of us wanted to like be a punk and was like oh you love oh, johnny depp? Got, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. yeah you love johnny depp and stuff you like <laughs> why don't we watch this movie and he i think had like rented it or so he had it like queued up like i remember this like he turned on does the he TV. get swallowed in the bed yeah he gets yeah he yeah get, and then the bed literally literally spits out the most blood you, right, you right, may right, ever right, see right. in ever. a movie it's <laughs> truly insane yeah uh, i rewatched it in prep for this and i was like i had forgotten i was like holy shit um but that was my introduction and that like technically but yeah i think scream was the first one that i that i watched and was like oh it's wes craven like yeah yeah that's a really good point obviously five-year-old me didn't know who wes craven was i just <laughs> I saw mean, this still, guy you mean herbie didn't like, tell you yeah <laughs> <laughs> herbie. right fucking herbie, yeah, herbie. Um, <laughs> um, i uh, that's funny yeah but but yeah to dan to your point um, I think with slasher, so after Friday the third, after I guess Halloween, there was slasher after slasher after slasher. I mean, yeah, Friday yeah, the thirteenth yeah. is a ripoff of Halloween. Like there were so many slashers of people killing people, and I think Nightmare on Elm Street took that scariness of like, oh, there's a killer that broke loose in your neighborhood, or there's a killer in the woods, or that they took all of that and put it in your home, and they made yeah, it yeah, something yeah. that you can't escape, and like. Not to change subjects real quick, but that's also the reason why I think Paranormal Activity works, because Paranormal Activity took the fear of Blair Witch Project and put it in your home. Well, and I was going to say, you know, Paranormal Activity, I was looking at it because obviously you were coming on and I was reminded like I was in college. Like, I, dude, I I think we saw that. I think we saw that together. And I did you guys demand it? Yeah. So it's so funny. I it we Buffalo was one of those places and I think it was like more Jordan Ralph, who I started the film stage with and everything like that was involved or whatever. But it was totally one of those places. But when that demand started happening, it got to us and we went to the freaking Dibson Amherst yep. three across mm-hmm. from South Campus. It was like a little indie theater. It was mostly like like French Dispatch is going to sell out there this yeah. weekend. Right. So it's that type of theater. But because of the demand and because of their big theater one was like a huge seating capacity i remember going to that freaking movie at midnight with all the other dudes and dudettes you know probably sneaking in beers and we were all like that's that's one of the my best uh theater memories is like being in that theater when she like flies towards the camera all the stuff before that and everybody freaking out and i'll never forget sitting sitting in that theater watching the scene where they go upstairs and you can see the Ouija board in the background and then it just fucking lights on fire. Lights on fire. And everybody <laughs> in the theater just going, ah, like, it, you know, anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that movie, and that's, and uh, well, obviously people should watch your doc, but like, that, that wouldn't you say paranormal kind of, uh, uh, is, oh my God, what am I trying to say? It, it passes the test of time. I feel like it still so informs it still uh, but, so informs horror but, films But here's now. the thing, and this is the problem, because after Halloween, 
you get all these movies. So after a while, they all start becoming the same. Yeah. And, after right, you become guess, yeah. and after you become desensitized to all of these, you go yeah. back and watch Halloween and it doesn't have the same impact on you. Sure. And I think it's the same thing with Paranormal Activity. Paranormal Activity, like after Blair Witch, there were a couple attempts in some found footage movies, but Paranormal Activity opened the floodgates. And there's right. like hundreds and thousands of found footage films, Hell House included. And right. Now, by the time when you go back and watch the original Paranormal Activity, you could appreciate it for what its worth was. But it's also in this mix of all of these other things that come. So it's completely – I feel like it's well, a my buddy, experience. Yeah, my buddy Eric uh, D. Snyder, who's, who's a good friend, he, he's been to Sundance like over 20 years. And he always laughs. The Blair Witch thing, it was almost – it wasn't the found footage. It was the DVR thing. So like he jokes, he's like those two, three years after Blair Witch at Sundance, it was just all shitty DVR movies. And so like if you went back and you watched any of those movies, some of which got released, like even a movie like a good movie, for example, there's this movie Tadpole, right, with like Sigourney Weaver. It's like not a horror movie, but it's like a an indie comedy where it's basically a young man falls in love with a stepmom. That's what the movie's about. Very Sundance. That movie's like 0203. It looks like mud because it's like filmed on like, you know, I don't know, like one of those handheld, you know, like, like mini DV. You know, it looks like it was yeah. shot in a fucking potato. <laughs> yeah, it's just like um, one of those things. But um, anyway, I think bringing it back to Craven, to your point, to all, kind of all of our collective points. Yeah, I think with for me, it was Scream. It was that was a sleepover movie, right? Where like we all hung out, watched Scream, it, you know, like for, for yep. probably a million teenagers, a billion teenagers. And it was like, you know. An unsettling movie because of the meta context of it and obviously speaking to freddie only a couple years before he does new nightmare which i watched only a couple days ago i think i'd seen it before but i kind of had i was scrubbing through it a couple days ago uh, because it's on hbo max and that really feels like him playing with the form and then getting the script scary movie from kevin williamson which dimension slash miramax buys and then ultimately Wes Craven comes on board and makes what then they end up calling Scream. And then obviously, obviously they make the spoof of that and they call that scary movie a few years later. Um, and that really reinvents the genre to the point you're making, Joe. Like you can almost track it where it's like the slasher had kind of died. There's a couple of death rattles with your new nightmare and whatnot that were a little bit creative. But like jason was kind of tired michael was kind of done right and then like they were they're sending jason to space at that point right like yeah. well not yet yeah. but but they were that, yeah, that was that's what, that's yeah. they were about like, to yeah they're considering doing that right and it's like yeah you know and then because of scream you get williamson comes on to punch up h2o right and that becomes halloween h2o which is a big hit and then you know he does i know what you did last summer right and like it all kind of comes back with a and then you and then you get all of those movies that follow in its wake like urban legend and valentine oh my god urban legend i that scared me when i was younger dude that whole premise of like right because they're getting killed by all the urban legend very creepy clever yeah (laughs) robert robert isn't which is the one robert england is the teacher is it urban Urban legend Legend. yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, great love that they're they're rebooting that too hey i I believe (laughs) hey is is, is the sky blue yeah reboot it baby (laughs) um so so okay so what's craven so swamp thing is our first movie which connor i know you're going to talk about 
Let's get to Swamp Thing, sure, though, because yeah, yeah. he, his beginning is pretty interesting. So Craven, and obviously jump in and correct me here, basically is a teacher first, right? He's raised in a quite religious scenario. His dad dies at a young age. He's never He's, watched a movie that wasn't a Disney movie right. until he was 18 Yeah, years very old. Paul Schrader-esque, right? It's very much like raised very strictly, Walt Disney or, or no one else. He gets really into books because of it and kind of finds his path in books, becomes a professor, um moves to new york and in the process he's an editor briefly and then he ultimately um is given a bunch of money with who is his producing partner connor sean there's sean s cutting in thank you sean Cunningham. Friday, Friday the 13th. right 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 and they basically get a little bit of bundle of money they write a script i think this they kind of sell it on the auspice of it'll be a little porny but then he goes into the woods and he, Craven and Cunningham basically decide to make the gnarliest shit they could think of. Right. And they really put it to the actors, which has been documented and it's a really rough shoot. And it's like the last house on the left, which I watched for the first time for this fucking thing. And I got to tell you, man, I mean, I, I know Joe, you say like, Oh, the movie's age and it doesn't, it doesn't seem it probably, probably doesn't seem as bad as it did in 1972 it really bothered me still in 2021 you're right right, but answer this question for me why does it it's when you watch movies and i know the reason why it is that you felt that way it's because when you watch movies and you see people get murdered it feels like it's supposed to happen in every movie when you watch movies and you see someone get gang raped or raped that feels like you're watching something you shouldn't be watching. Yeah, right? that's probably what it is. And there's also other things, though. So we don't we won't go into the whole plot of the last house unless it's obviously it's a fairly simple thing. But the meanest, I mean, it's such an unrelentingly mean movie. Mean, and the meanest yeah. thing about it, which I don't think I honestly knew until I watched it, if I'm being honest, is the whole thing is these two young women that go into the bad part of town to try to score some grass, and they end up getting basically kidnapped by the sociopaths and then they get raped and murdered in the woods literally a hundred feet from where mary the girl lives like she can see her house that part of it i don't know that i knew and that whole what a horrible beautiful terrible thing to add to your movie where like she's like i live right like she's telling the one semi not crazy um younger uh gentleman not gentleman but you know guy like trying to get uh trying to get him to save her obviously to no avail and then you have the shot of the body in the river which is just like it just there's things in that movie where i was just like and obviously when it came out i mean craven talks about this he became a pariah like amongst his like liberal you know liberal intellectual friends in new york because this movie was like people wanted this movie movie's head on a spike right and like the marketing campaign was amazing right it has a great poster to avoid fading you know tell yourself it's only a movie it's only a movie right like it's amazing underground kind of marketing um drive-in movie and you can you can kind of that certainly came through i think for me in the rewatch like Uh, or sorry, in the watch, the only early movie of his I had seen before we prepped for this was uh, The Hills Have Eyes. But um, in watching this, yeah, I it didn't quite like truly affect me, but it I definitely was like, 
oh, I understand why you had to be there. Right. Like, I understand how, like, at the time people fucking lost their minds. Yeah. Um, and also, it's like only three, four years after Manson, too. Right. That must have also oh, had sure. something yeah. to do with it. Right. hundred percent. hundred percent. You know, this was a different time where, like, that was a new, you know, you had in cold, the in cold blood murders had happened, right? Like, that but was you're, all. But you're also missing on a big part of it, which is the fact that the parents get revenge, which is yeah, right. Huge, yeah, the whole, the whole, part the whole third part of the movie is in yeah, that thing. The parents killing, yeah. just going nuts. Yeah, so basically the killers, they kill the girls and then they pretend to be salesmen and they go to the parents' house across the street to, like, stay the night because their car has broken down and they... When they get into the house, they realize it's Mary's house, and they basically just laugh, right? Because they're there's like, <laughs> Isn't that yeah. And, and remind me, because I don't remember. Is it she has like a piece of jewelry or some shit that she had on, right? Yeah, like, they give like her because it's her because it's her birthday. Yeah, and so her they dad take gives it. her like an early birthday present. That's this. It's yep. like a peace sign, and that's yeah, that's yeah. the giveaway yeah. that they know that they something and i believe they see they see her in the water too though right like ultimate ultimately yeah 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 yeah. and then they and then they the parents ultimately get their revenge which is great look and it's satisfying and the movie as a whole i mean it works really well and it 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 puts craven on the map of course um though and he talks he's talked about this i'll link to a lot of these interviews he tried him and cunningham tried to get other stuff made and nobody would bite because of course you know, and look, he dealt with this his whole career, and this is an ongoing. I think this is a thing he fought against his whole career, which as much yeah, as it's, he loved it's like the a prevailing films, theme. Yeah, he always fought mm-hmm. to try to make other movies, and you know, had my, you know some success, uh, some failure in trying to do that. But they can't get anything made. He ends up making a uh, straight pornographic movie as his second film. He, he's credited as Abe Snake. Which Such you can find. I, I I did watch like the first thirty minutes of it. I mean, on like, you know, I guess uh, what would you call it? Uh, incognito browser websites. We'll say. So, so here's the real question: Does the porn stand the test of time? Um. So it's basically it's a brother and sister have sex. That's so, he, so like, he, was ahead, he was ahead. Of, he was ahead of the times. Then, it's for, that's it's, like. It's for like nowadays, you know, and it's like foreboden. And I mean, what you forget, what's so funny about movies from back, back then, uh, uh, porn, porn movies from back then is like Deep Throat and you know, which, I'm Cra- curious. which Craven worked on. <laughs> Did he? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I, I am curious, Yellow in these movies, like they had high production value, right? Because that was, I mean, look, Boogie Nights is about this, right? I mean, if you like, so they were in movie theaters, like, because it wasn't like now they're not just going up on whatever. Right. So it is that weird thing. Kind of it does, I guess, because it's still a movie. Right. It has a little bit of like, like there is a touch to it, I suppose. I mean, obviously, Craven doesn't talk about it like it's a second movie. He obviously rather people not know about it, but he did make it. I did watch a little bit of it. Yeah, it's pretty straight down the middle. I mean, there's a little bit of supernatural you know the 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 sisters got some weird shit going on, and you know the brother wants to be a priest and he gets seduced. You know, classic stuff. And um, <laughs> ultimately, I'm just, thinking, I'm just thinking, can you guys have ever imagined that at this day in your life you'd be sitting here discussing 
<laughs> Wes Craven's porn uh, on a podcast. I didn't even know. <laughs> I didn't even know it existed until we started. And somebody, somebody, Connor either. was like, I, Connor I, was like, we got to do the fireworks woman, and I was like, yeah, because I was, like, cause I was just like, he's he's literally. I mean, if we're talking B sides, he's literally made two non horror movies or horror adjacent movies. And one of them is a Meryl Streep Oscar movie, and the other is a straight up porn. And that's porn. and here we are. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean that's not that's not, not so. True. If any, I somebody might have had odds on us getting to a porn before we hit our hundredth episode, and I don't know, maybe they missed somebody lost some money. We got won some money. So then you know he uh, finally he kind of I think accepts he's he's kind of running out of money. He accepts he has to make another horror movie. So he goes. He, um, and I did not know this, Joe, maybe you knew this. Um, and I've, Joe, I feel like you should make this freaking movie. So Hills Have Eyes is like inspired by the real Scottish cannibal, Sonny Bean. Yeah. Who is this freaking dude in the 16th century who had this like clan of 50 people and allegedly murdered and ate over a thousand people in the span of 25 years. And I was like, how has there not been some epic Sonny Bean movie that's been made? I'm pretty sure most of the things that Wes Craven has written are inspired by certain things. I was going to say, like, I, 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 sure, we'll get there, sure. but last, uh, well, not last, uh, well, last people, people left, Under the is, Stairs even has a little bit of a seed in in like a real thing that happened, which is. Yep. Well, and we should mention Last House on the Left is obviously a, a very, fairly straightforward adaptation of ingmar bergman's the virgin spring yes, right so correct, correct. Yep. and the virgin spring is its own legend in 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 um in uh what is it uh swedish lore that that ingmar made into the virgin right so it's this to your point joe the storytelling um craven often goes back to the source um and yep. even freddy krueger the claws right he talks about how all the slashers were coming out and, you know, the knives and the chainsaws were already tired. So what is the primal thing people fear? And the claws come from literally that would be how primal people would like kill other people would be they would they would make claws. Right. Because yeah. which obviously they would be fighting bears and whatnot. So it's a very much like back to the source type of thing. But anyway, the Hills Have Eyes. What do you guys think about this one, Joe? What do you think about Hills Have Eyes? You like this one? I mean, I think, you know, this is the thing. I mean, he's the master of horror. That's what he's coined as. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. I think one of the reasons why I like Wes Craven so much is because I feel like he missed with so many films. Sure. And yet he had, he kept having a chance to make films. And yet he still, all of those films that he missed on at some point became cult classics and had some type of following. And I think The Hills Have Eyes is the same. I don't know if The Hills Have Eyes was as popular until they rebooted it. I think when they rebooted it, it brought in a whole new audience. I mean, they did make a sequel and he directed directed it. So and that and that one was just both of them were poorly received. Yeah. I mean, prior prior to Swamp Thing, all three of his movies that he had done were not very well received. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, we should say last house and hills they do make money but in that Correct. way you're talking about where kind of like, like also, fuck you dad fuck you dad i'm gonna go see this correct crazy yeah, movie yeah. and they're also exactly. they're yeah. also very obviously cheaply made right like correct and that that i think is like 
Well, we can get to it when we talk about that master of horror bit at the end. But that, I think, is kind of what disengages me, I think, from his earlier movies. Yeah. Um, is is just it's a little tough for me to get past, like, the the lack of uh, production value. But yeah. And, you, you know, they also said that later on he's credited with horror comedies. And again, I don't know if that camp that's in Last House on the Left and Hills Have Eyes was purposely meant to be camp you know i don't think it was purposely meant to be comedy i will I say it was though, taken that way over I, the years I, I will say the last house on the left more than hills of eyes for me the tonal um shifts may, were made it more effective because Agreed. you get like for me at least like where it's like it, it almost convey it conveyed the sociopathy happening where it's like you have them doing these horrible things and you almost have like a harry nielsen ripoff yeah. song playing yeah. in the background yeah. and you're it's like it's like extremely off-putting right where you're yeah. like yeah. You, you don't have the halloween music kind of like telling you like like oh this is what's happening my because speaking of carpenter who's like obviously another master of horror and we talked we we did carpenter a couple of years ago and and i kind of said this i love the fact that he scores his movies i think a lot of the scores are great um i do think sometimes it, it can be a little bit like all right, John, we got it, John. Yeah. And I think I think Craven, the tonal imbalance, whether or not how intentional it was early on, he makes he makes masterpieces out of it ultimately, right? So I think it's interesting to watch that evolve. Yeah, and, and listen, it was scary. It had moments to it, but I I personally think Last House on the Left was better because I think The Hills Have Eyes did exactly it was it was Texas Chainsaw Massacre to me. Like right, was, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, the same thing. Well, and, was, and, he, and Craven, to his credit, mentions Chainsaw in talking about Hills, where he's like, Chainsaw is an inspiration for him directly in making yeah. Hills of Eyes. And he kind of thought to himself, like, oh, let's take that setting, but like even utilize more of the environment, obviously. Yeah. I will say one thing for Wes amazing titles. Oh, throughout yeah. his oh, career, great. basically. Oh, great. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Which he wasn't always the one naming it those right, things. Right, a lot right. of those times he was fighting against them. That's funny. Yeah. So, I mean, the next one, to your point, Deadly Blessing um, doesn't do well, really gets gets thrashed by critics. And then Swamp Thing also doesn't do well at the time, though, is one of the early films that's really bolstered by video sales. Right. This is early 80s. And look, Carpenter is the is the is the father of my movies do good on video. So that's why I'll keep making them. But, you know. As we're talking about Craven, this is the first one, you know, in the early 80s as, you know, at-home purchases are and rentals are becoming more popular. Swamp Thing becomes successful. Um, and obviously, Connor, I'm going to pass it to you if you want to just tell us about Swamp Thing for a minute and then we can talk about it. Yeah. So Swamp Thing uh, came out in 82. Um, it is based on the DC Comics character created by Len Wein and Bernie Wright Wrightson. Wrightson. Um, and basically it's got uh, Ray Wise, who, you know, you'd recognize from like Twin Peaks and things like that um, as a scientist who basically gets transformed into this monster because of yeah, a, John, John, Dr. John Swamp Thing. Yeah, John Swamp Thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, it's, I, I thought it was Samuel Womp Thing. So it's like S. <laughs> well, anyway. Um, 
<laughs> I'm done. Good night, guys. Oh, uh, uh, Joe, Joe logged off. Joe just logged off. <laughs> um, no, but basically, he's developed this formula. It's, I mean, it's all very kind of textbook superhero-ish type stuff in that bad people want it, good people want it. He winds up getting in a lab accident because of it, turns into the swamp thing. And uh, I think kind of more central, he's sort of actually, it's funny, it, he, he, Ray Wise is like very high build, but he's only in the movie for like five seconds because he doesn't play the swamp thing. But um, who's played by uh, Dick Duroc. But um, this is a strong name, by the way. Yeah, it's very, a real, very real strong, strong name. Very. Um, did he meet Wes Craven while working in porn or something like that? Um, <laughs> we got to say, it is crazy Wes Craven's real name is Wes Craven. It feels like a perfect yes. horror movie. Like, that is his yeah, yeah. name. It's like when you yeah. find out, it's when you find out Colby Smolders' his name is really Colby Smolders. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> oh, I guess you... Yeah. Like, a really attractive woman's last name is Smolders. You're like, that's really your name? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um... But yeah, basically, the the movie more so follows the exploits of um, this woman named Alice Cable, who's Adrian Barbeau, who uh, was she married to Carpenter or did they just date? I think I think no, she was married to Carpenter and they divorce in 84. So I think this is maybe the back half. They're married for five years. Yeah, OK. Got um, so this is you, you would know she, her from a number of things. Total recall. She's in the fog. The she's fog. in fog. Yeah. yeah. Escape from uh, New York. Yes, correct. Thank you. Um, I just watched the fog for the first time. Good great movie. movie. Good movie. Yeah. Great movie. I like that movie yeah. a lot. Um, somewhere Gavin Mevius is smiling because that's his favorite oh, John Carpenter movie. Gavin. Um, but yeah, that's kind of basically it. It's it, it. You know, you have uh, you yeah, have Louis Jordan. Yeah. Is, is it is Louis? Our, well, whatever. Louis, anyway. yeah, yeah. He, he was an he was an American actor, right? Louis Jordan. He 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 plays Arcane, who's the villain villain of the comics as well. He ends up him and his like paramilitary army try to kill. Or he's, not kill, he's French. Really, he is French. Oh, is he? Yeah, oh, he's born in Marseille. Louis. 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 I think Louis. I believe it's Louis. Um, um, so Louis, thank you, Louis Jordan. And then I wanted to say his like number one heavy is David Hess, who from Last who is, House, who and, is from Last House, and, and I think it, the Hills Have Eyes. No, I don't know. I was just looking him up because yeah. he's so disturbing in Last House. So he yeah. he's pretty effective here as like the number one heavy. Um, and yeah, that's that's the movie, right? It's basically you know you have it's short and sweet, um, almost by um they were almost forced to do it that way if, I, don't, I don't know if, i don't know if you guys watched west craven talk about it but um the producers basically started pulling money right it was a pretty yeah it was a pretty down and dirty shoot at the end there and the he he said the last half of swamp thing is basically shot in masters because they just didn't have the time or money and the producers like not even the producers the the money people were in charleston with them in the swamp like making the producers cry because they were like this needs to I get mean, done. I mean there's the one shot of him that wide shot of him walking back and forth which you could tell they were like they walk left walk right a bunch of times yes. that way yeah. yell and they use it throughout the yeah. rest of the movie. I, I will say feels, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, go go go. No, I was going to say I will say kind of pleasantly you know, Joe, you we were talking about like oh should we do the fireworks woman and then I watched some and I was kind of like well it's it's really just a porn, right? So maybe yeah. You know, and you were kind of like, um, and then Joe, you were like very insistent that we do it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> then Joe, you, you, were, you were like, um, 
well, let's do Swamp Thing, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and I mean, kind of like, oh, perfect. And um, I was pleasantly kind of surprised. I mean, you can see, I suppose, the um, the stitches of the budget on screen. But as a comic book adaptation, it felt pretty kind of lovely. There are like some really nice moments. Like Adrian there, Barbeau is very good. I, I was pleasantly surprised by it, actually. There definitely were. But again, and I don't want to be the person that's constantly saying the, not, the negative no, things. No, but the negative things are the reason why I like Wes Craven. I found so many misses that early on where it to me, it would have made more sense if his sister was the one who he was like, go, like trying to like fight for. Cause in the scene, I felt so awkward. It was like, he meets cable kisses her. True. It's true. And then the rest of the movie, he's fighting for cable. Like he's not yeah. five minutes like that. To me, I was like, that, that feels like a it story. It just doesn't make sense. Or that seems like something you fix by having them already know each other by the time the movie right? starts. Right? And like, like, and to yeah. me, to me, if you're going to go into a movie that quick and have something happen immediately where you need this connection, why would you not just choose the sister? Like there's, I, there's your connection. I there. suppose there is, I think there's a part of it that they're. I think they're trying to edge in a sort of the source material. Yeah. And I think also like, a, at least thematically, it seems like Wes Craven is maybe a little bit more. And in, in, and again, I think this is why I would consider it a B-side is it feels like he gets the gig because it's Swamp Thing and it's a quote unquote monster superhero movie. Right. But it yep. does feel like he is a little bit more interested in the like. Othering romance right like in the like yep. in the hunchback of notre dame-esque oh, yeah. thing going i on, certainly right? think this is the first of west trying to be like okay let me take this property and, and maybe try to different. like yeah yeah he like, tro- it feels like he trojan horses it a little bit right he tries to he, yeah. yeah and that i agree with you dan like that's what i liked about this movie because like it it I think also, as I mentioned, like with Halloween and stuff, I've been watching a ton of Hammer movies. I feel like me watching a lot of those movies also lent to my liking of this movie, because to me, what I love about those movies and a movie like this is like, yeah, you see the seams a little bit, but like I see the economy. And that to me is like really impressive and kind of fun to watch, like to really see like, okay, how did you take this like $2 million budget and like really make the most out of it or whatever? Um, yeah. And I, and I believe me, I get that. And I understand that. And I think that that's, you guys are bringing a completely different perspective than I was thinking about it. I think for me, well, you hate swamp it, things. Trinity, no, right? I mean, you're like, you know what? If anything you know comes out of the swamp, I'm you're done. Yeah. So, so after my mom broke up with Irby, she did the swamp. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it was all down from there. Reggie, um, Reggie Swamp Thing. <laughs> Reggie like... Swamp Thing. Doctor Reggie Swamp. Thing. <laughs> Doctor um, Swamp. Uh, so I think for me, the, the it's the moniker of writer director. That's the reason why I think I don't see what you guys are seeing as much if he was just the director i see it sure because he's the writer director it's the crafting of the story that to me at this point i feel like he's pulling at straws and he's just trying to get something because from last house on the left to swamp thing i'm not seeing a crafting of an arc i don't really see that until you get to Off street well and it's interesting you bring this up because i would agree with you and i think har and you know way more about this stuff than I do. Uh, both of you do. But I I would hazard a guess that in horror circles and even in larger pop culture circles, the reason 
Carpenter's having a moment and has been having a moment as like a true master and auteur. It's and even he's alive. Though, and it well, was well, alive. That. And, <laughs> and even though and even though Craven <laughs> has had that moment, I suppose, and obviously he sadly passed away. I feel like in the in, in the moment, if you were to say like, oh, who is the who's the true master? People would say Carpenter. And I think it's probably because of this auteurist thing that like Carpenter was basically able to build that maybe Craven never built nor wanted to build. You're right. Cause I think, you know, he was always trying to uh move away, always trying to do something new, always trying to play with something else. Had this you know, deep trench trench of knowledge. Like even this movie, like looking at the Wikipedia and it's in the movie, there's a line that directly references the original title for Werner Herzog's Enigma of Casper Hauser, right? Where right. the guy goes to Bruno when he's in the prison, he's like, it's every man for himself and God against all. That's like a reference that's like such a cinephile, like he does that all the time. And yeah. I think you're finding, you know, it's, when people look back, Joe, and you kind of said this, it's a it's a very patchy filmography where you can't go like with Carpenter, you can literally go like the 70s basically to they live. He's like knocking it out of the park. And there's this like specific type of humor, the specific type of filmmaking. And then it gets a little weirder after that. But like, I don't I guess you can't really do that with Craven, really. Well, I think the other thing too, you mentioned Joe, you mentioned the multi-hyphenate thing. And Dan, I mentioned this to you off mic a few days ago. Like the one reason I, I go Carpenter is, I think, frankly, aesthetics, right? And and um, I think, and you mentioned his scores before, and I think that has a lot to do with it. Like aesthetically speaking, I mean, Hall Halloween is a, a wonderfully shot movie, but it's maybe only if like you take away that score and I'm not dissing Halloween. It's like one of my personal favorite movies of all time, all that stuff. But it's not that far removed from something like Last House on the Left. And the Carpenter score just imbues it with this mood and vibe that like takes oh, over. Yeah. And that's the thing. Right. And it's and that's not obviously the only great thing about that movie, but it does wrap it all up and really elevate the quality of the material. Yeah. And I don't really think I don't want to say Craven never had that because I would say that maybe his peak aesthetically might be Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, but it. I I I have to wonder, like, if Swamp Thing has a Carpenter score, are people like masterpiece well, right like you know here, like i don't know like yeah i agree with you completely I, you know like i i i agree with you it's and i'm not saying only me. john carpenter could do that i'm just saying kind of to agree with you dan that like i think that there's just another layer of things that carpenter maybe or, or that sorry that craven maybe either didn't have access to because of budget or whatever and it just sort of is the thing that i think kept him at that workman level i think maybe in people's minds for a long time I'm not 100% sure if how accurate this is going to be, but my personal thoughts are when John Carpenter is making all these movies that he's crushing, one, when he's making them, no one's thinking they're crushing until like after they come out anyway. So it's not right, like he right. knows it while it's happening. Um, he is, I guess I hate using this word, but he's an artist. 
He is crafting an entire story. And when you watch those earlier movies around the same time that Wes Craven's making his movies, you're immersed in an experience that is the world that John Carpenter created. When you're watching Wes Craven's movies in the earlier days, it's not you're watching a world. It's more surreal. There's a lot of things that you have to be like, well, I'm I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because that's in the middle of the mountains or in the desert. And I'm not used to that. I don't know that. Like John Carpenter can take suburban America and show you it. And you all already believe that you're there with Wes Craven. You're not seeing that because he he's not that strong of a filmmaker at that point yet to bring that to you. He's going into these random places like a swamp or like the hills to create that environment. Well, specifically the hills with eyes though. So exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So I think, I think that Wes Craven is getting his bearings to figure out the pieces so that once Mm. he does get that chance, he will run with it. And that's what Nightmare on Elm Street did because it, Again, that's not a straightforward movie. That's a very surreal movie. I I think also one other thing as we kind of move into the the as we approach the pupil um, under the stairs, one important thing about Craven maybe is he's very collaborative. Like if you listen to interviews with him, he's had production troubles. He had he had production troubles and whatnot, but I think he was always willing to take notes, receive notes, try to make movies that want it, right? Like Vampire in Brooklyn, which we're not going to talk about, but we have covered on this podcast before when we talked about Eddie Murphy. No, we talked about is, that. And Angela, Angela Bassett. Bassett. Yeah. Thank you, Angela Bassett. Was um, a good example of that. Like he had an opportunity to work with Eddie Murphy. He didn't really want to make a horror movie. Eddie Murphy kind of wanted to make more of a horror movie. The studio wanted to make more of a comedy. And so you get literally a movie in which Wes Craven is in real time trying to appease both Eddie Murphy and the studio. And it doesn't really work, but Craven's very open in interviews about that's what they, they one, one, one side wanted this, the other side wanted this. I tried to make it work like Carpenter probably would have walked right yeah he would like like, or at least least been firmly on one side or the other like you know memoirs of invisible man is basically carpenter's vampire in brooklyn where he's doing dealing with the same thing with chevy chase and the studio but you know that's a way more um i think carpenter was way more open about the struggles of that craven comes away from these things oftentimes being like amenable still like you know like he seems like a nice person right like that's kind of what i mean and i think i will say as a producer the deeper i get in my career the more i just love people like that where i'm like hey man good for you like you know you had a job and you just were like taking all the notes deal with all the bullshit and like that's totally a producer mindset of like you know it just it feels like he never got past it right you're supposed to climb those levels and to get to the next level and he's always going to the point and even to the point where scream which is obviously so arturish is kind of equally kevin williamson gets that credit right and i wouldn't even say unfairly right like which is interesting i think what what i would say is he doesn't get past it he like he like goes around it or like steps outside of it like legitimately right because like he makes elm street right it's obvious it's a hit it's an instant classic right and then he kind of i think falls back a little bit he does hills have eyes too 
Um, and then he does. Oh, ta- he he talks about he. It took him three years to sell Nightmare. Yes, and yeah. he he literally ran out of money, so he he made Hills to to like pay the pay the water bill. Well, let let me ask you guys something because I'm sure everyone watches the movies that made us, and they had the documentary series that just they they just did the horror ones recently, and they just yes, came out yes, with the Nightmare yes. on Elm Street one. Um, what's your guys' take on? the director the guy who wrote and directed this not showing up for the table read because his agent told him not to like what's your thoughts on Wes Craven not being there for that because that that one hit me a little bit and I I don't know how I feel about that wait for which one for so when they when they made so Robert Che who uh is the creator of New Line um he was going to put the money up he was going to get the money they weren't sure if the money was going to come in but they had the whole cast set they had everyone set and they had a table read Wes Craven's agent told him, or at least that's what it says in the documentary, not to go. So he didn't go to the, the table read. So everyone went because they weren't sure if the money was going to come in. But the whole mm. cast was there. whole crew was there. Wes Craven didn't go. When yeah. I heard that, that rubbed me a lo- the wrong the way. The wrong way. A little, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I think you, uh, look, I think there's, there are, there are versions of that story in Carpenter's career too of like, well, fuck this. I'm I'm walking, and then you can always point to the people who lose jobs, right? So it's always tough, you know. So yeah, to to make a power play like that when you're meant I just to be can't, the leader, I just can't see walk like I just can't see any world where an agent, my agent, someone I trust, tells me to not show up for a movie that I wrote and I care about. Like that, but, I, but you know what I mean. But the, totally agree with you. The counter would be, isn't it then so crazy? That a decade later, Wes and Bob Shea take a meeting and suss it all out, and he makes New Nightmare, right? Because that 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 whole relationship was always fraught, right? Yeah, and, and Wes never felt like he got enough money for it, and blah 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 blah. And then when he gets brought back for New Nightmare, they 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 figure out the money part of it before, yeah. and I think I don't want to say Carpenter wouldn't have done that. I just I I'm saying like. A lot of directors at an A-list level, a A-minus list level, whatever, they they would have never gone to the table, right? So I think that's kind of an interesting thing to think about. But yeah, that's not. It's a good point. It's definitely yeah. a good point. I think certainly you could say, you know, him being whatever a company man or, or whatever, you know, certainly. Like I said, I think probably makes his reputation a little bit softer than maybe it should be given his output in the genre but you know i think you know it's just something to consider you know and i think yeah. um yeah the carpenter the carpenter through line is way more sh- like obvious and like impressive and like easy to easier to find but like joe like on this show I, we always talk about this i always am defending the not auteur filmmakers because i I struggle with the auteur thing as like the prevailing, these are the best guys where I'm like, you know, like, you know, this is not a hard thing, but we talk about this all the time. Like William Wyler, Michael Curtiz, right? Like these filmmakers, Delmer Daves, like they were in the studio system and they made the movies that they were given and they crushed a lot of well, them. Well, and they made and movies then, that like people love, right? Like they made some yeah. of the best you movies know, ever made. But the point is nobody, <laughs> yeah. nobody yeah. in 2021 is like, oh man, Let's look at the Curtiz collection. And it's like the dude made Angels of Dirty Faces. Robin Hood. Casablanca. Robin Hood. White Christmas. Yep. Casablanca. It's like, this is a master. And because he wasn't Kitchcock, we kind of, 
being the annals of cin- cinema history, we kind of go like, oh yeah, he was good. And I'm like, that's unfair. So that's where we, like, when yeah. you get to Wes Craven, I kind of find myself defending him because I'm like, look, he was doing it all. He's well, got- uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, no, and I, I, I understand that. I mean, listen, my favorite, like my, the film, the horror filmmaker that made me want to be in horror was Wes Craven. You right, know, right, it's right. not, it wasn't Carpenter. It was Craven. And we'll get into that when we talk about the master of horror thing. I don't want to, We'll keep throwing that towards the but, end. <laughs> but basically, so, yeah. you know, we he gets, he, Nightmare comes out, huge hit, obviously. Uh, Hills Have Eyes Part 2 is in there as well, Dan, like you said, for the paycheck. Uh, he does a film that, honestly, if we were going to cover four B-sides, we probably should have put it on here. A film called Deadly Friend. Right, um, right, right. Which is with, uh, with Christy Swanson. She's kind of the only... And Ramsey's in it. Right, you know. right, right. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Um, and then so after Deadly Friend, um, he does Serpent that, and the Rainbow yeah. with Bill Pullman, which I watched, which is pretty good. I think it's got that movie's gotten kind of like a certain reappraisal I think recently. I, I, um, and I'm pretty sure that was well received. Like that was the first movie that he did after Nightmare on Elm Street that actually like, like connect, by a connected, critical audience yeah. and connected with an audience had like, yeah that in yeah it's, it's no 100 percent, and it and and it does relatively well for its budget and it's like an interesting movie you know it takes place in haiti and it's a it's a it's a movie that regards voodoo in a, an actual way it's not like the shitty punchline voodoo thing that you see in so many movies like it's actually like let's explore this religion type of thing yeah and i think the, the only reason i think that's you know the reason i wanted to bring it up quickly before we get to our next b-side is that i i think he this was something that surprised me a little bit going through these movies is and obviously horror is a social genre that's the whole thing right like i think people like to separate social horror as its own little subgenre but not really like it's all all horror is social horror to a degree um and he just seemed like a really socially minded guy when you consider something like serpent in the rainbow and then ultimately people under the stairs which he makes he makes shocker in 89 and then he makes people under the stairs in 91 um which from a monetary standpoint was not a b-side it was a hit um but uh but as we dive into it joe do you want to just kind of give us the quick rundown on people yeah. under the stairs yeah so people under the stairs came out in 1991 it technically again falls under the whole horror comedy world uh Wes Craven wrote and directed it again uh it is in essence about uh the Los Angeles ghetto and it's about a little kid that's gonna get evicted from his home his mom's sick his mom has cancer uh it looks like his sister's paying the bills any way she can and he sort of gets roped in um with Ving Rhames who who uh who's in this for a short period he gets roped in with these two guys to go and actually rob the people who are evicting everyone. And there's this kind of story about they have gold coins um, and whatnot. So um, so pretty much this kid goes and robs, uh, goes and attempts to rob them. And once they get inside, they realize that these people are a little bit more wacko than you would think. And um, and in essence, they the people under oh, yeah, the stairs a little aspect. Bit, a little bit more wacko. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the people under the stairs aspect and the thing that was part of the trailers and part of the mystique of this movie was that they in essence feed the people that they kill to the people under the stairs. And that's the thing that should be feared, which is a very big role reversal when you actually do watch the movie and see 
what actually took place. Yeah, but, I yeah. I um really like this movie. Me too. I, I I didn't know much about it. It was the one I thought of first when we talked about doing Wes Craven. I guess just because of the poster. I think I remember like the video poster with just the skeleton above the house, you know. And I, I guess I always thought of it as a B-side because I think I knew people liked it, but it's not. You know, really, I think with Craven, we, we were talking about this, Connor. I think Fair, Fair Game is basically like not a Freddy movie, not a Scream movie. And not a Hills Have Eyes movie, right? It's right, like yeah, yeah. after that, you're getting into like, you know, Craven was involved with a lot of franchises. And I think like a lot of, the, you know, a lot of the other movies, even if they were modest hits like Serpent and the Rainbow or People Under the Stairs, they don't, their longevity is less, right? Understandably. This movie, the social commentary, I loved. Like it's a, it's, it's a, it works per- today. <laughs> oh, I loved it. It was like, so Arnie, basically- isn't it surprising that it fucking hasn't been remade? Well, there. Well, Jordan Peele. I, oh, fuck. Yeah. Of course. Okay. Jordan Peele optioned <laughs> it to remake it, which of course. Right? Yeah. I, mean, okay. of course, I actually, th- I, Connor, I thought you were going to say, "Isn't it um, surprising that that stuff still happens today?" <laughs> no, the answer is <laughs> sadly, it's not. It's not surprising. Sadly, not surprising. Not <laughs> no, because yeah. basically, to, to to Joe's synopsis, you know, the movie is basically in a very direct way just, you know, making making horrible what's already horrible which is like in in real life basically these two white this you know this this white couple which is more complicated than that but we won't spoil anything really which is uh everett mcgill and wendy roby who are they play the couple in one of the couples in twin peaks right at at around the same time this movie came out which is interesting they literally play this you know part of this dynastic family who has literally been buying up and slumming out all of the buildings all over this uh neighborhood in LA so that the disenfranchised people who have to rent from them are just going to get squeezed out not be able to afford anything which is literally what slum lords do right it's what and that's isn't the this, whole business model so correct me if i'm wrong but isn't this the first movie that Wes Craven did that the main focus of the movie is on the black community versus the white community i mean i guess serpent in the rainbow you're getting that a little bit because you got the haitian, of, side, the haitian of side of it still through yeah, the lens of a white but it's because here's it yeah, yeah true yeah. and here and here and this is the reason why it likes re-watching it this is the reason why i also still say this is a great movie in my opinion totally is because it didn't feel like a white guy directing it like it didn't totally, feel like that yeah. to me yeah it felt like it felt like someone who and granted i'm half white so i i guess whoever's actually making the comment doesn't really matter but it felt true it felt, it felt realistic true. Right, right yeah it felt realistic but um yeah so i wanted to tell you guys the reason why so back to my fucked up childhood um when i was a kid after the whole irby situation when i was maybe like seven eight nine when you would have sleepovers with friends and whatnot all of my close friends our families didn't like us going out and didn't like us leaving far from home. So they'd always rent us movies. So I remember specifically two movies that stuck with me. One, because of the movie posters, like you said, Dan, one was Dead Alive. Oh, and sure. the other one was People Under the yeah. Stairs. Oh, God, Dead and, Alive. Well, yeah. And so both of those movies I watched when I was like nine or eight or something. And I loved those movies. Yeah. But then when I was a teenager, when I was like 13, I went back and I was scared of Freddy. So I rewatched everything I, I watched the whole nightmare i watched friday the 13th i watched everything and i think probably when i was like 15 or 16 
I it finally connected to me that the guy who made Scream made Nightmare on Elm Street also made people under the stairs. Yeah. And that's where I was like, oh. And this, that's sort of my guy. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's a totally perfect movie for that kind of, you know what I mean? Like, if you're going to have a gateway movie into, like, what gets you to love a dude, I think, I, like, I have still not gone through his entire filmography. I went through a lot of it in prepping for this. And I think, frankly, of all the ones I watched, this is, you know, easily top three. Like, if if not his best movie, like... I thought you were gonna say oh, of the three movies that no, 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 said no. it was top three. <laughs> no, no, no. It's just it's it's easily it's like easily top tier Craven. Um I it's like also like you mentioned, Joe. I mean it's funny as hell. It's uh we should I mean mention- Brandon Adams is the lead who's in he's the pitcher in the sandlot. Yes, right? he's, correct. Yep. 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 Yeah, I can't think of his I can't think of his nickname in in the uh in the well, sandlot. Oh, um, in this it's fool. Cool. Yes, yeah, we didn't mention that. Yeah, yeah. But he's very funny. He's got some very funny reaction and lines, have, and it's really well. You have Everett, job performance. Everett McGill, who he's like a David Lynch mainstay. You'd recognize him. Um, you also have uh, Wendy Roby, Robbie or Roby. Yeah, I was saying they're both in Twin Peaks. Yeah, they're the they're, couple in Twin Peaks. Yeah, and they are um, so good and like. There's this um, a few other if you like read about this movie, you'll it'll probably come up. But like. It's just such a fun little weird, demented caricature of like Ronald and Nancy Reagan and like. Oh, yeah. Very deliberately. Yeah. 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 It's like it's perfect. Like she's smart. Right. The whole point being like she's the one running things and he's like the handsome tall guy who's an idiot. Right. Which is very much Nancy and Ronnie. Right. And yeah. Yeah, it's just uh, I the if I do have one nit to pick about this movie, it's that I think it shows its hand too early, and I kind of wish that it just started cold as a movie about a family that's getting evicted and the boyfriend who you know maybe does heists and things like that on the side is like hey kid why don't you come with me and we're gonna go get some money to like deal with this problem that's like hurting everybody in the slums right and then they go and they case the joint and they go in and they're like cool we're getting the coins and then you find out like but that's not exactly what happens because the movie show like you kind of know what if you don't know exactly what they're walking into you at least know they're walking into a scenario where this couple keeps a little girl like in her room you know like correct because they do because they do have those first stories of feeding her yeah not eating or yeah and you get that like so you already know something's kind of rotten in denmark a little bit and i just kind of wish that they were just seemingly you know quote unquote normal white folks and and then so you're just like oh those are just the slum lords like okay and then you realize like oh no these people are like these are l- literal crazy. monsters <laughs> like, yeah uh, I will I will say this movie underlines a thing we haven't really talked about if if if, the, if there are auteurish identifiers in Craven's work one of the big ones is family yeah sure and and it comes you know he's talked about this right it comes from his own kind of weird fractured family growing up where like. I think his his critical eye on family as a powerful but also powerfully deceptive construct and also making it, you know, 
a very American construct, right? In the sense of kind of this like bastardized version of patriotism, right? Where you can kind of point to the Hills of Eyes has this, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like this white family, their ignorance knows no bounds and that gets them killed, right? Like they are sufficiently warned not to do what they do and they do it anyway. And they, they get, you know, the chickens come home to roost. And then, you know, last house and less left very parallel families. You have this like sociopathic families element, right? In the shadows, as it were, kind of in the places you don't want to talk about. And then this kind of more fractured, like suburban scenario. And so he's always playing with these things. And even in, we'll get to curse, like cursed has that, uh, it, it, not successfully, I'd say, but like, you know, it, it's playing. Oh, he seems to be always most of the time playing with these things. And even Freddie itself is born of, you know, the trauma caused by a community, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, a sin of a community that literally comes back, you know, to, to get them. So, that is an interesting, for sure, thing that I think can be even more unsettling than a lot of horror movies because, like you were saying, Joe, there is, even if even if the families are placed in extreme situations, you can always find a weird correlation to that yep. neutral scenario. So I think, like, People Under the Stairs really underlines that where you have this, like, you know, the Ving Rhames boyfriend, it's a weirder family for this, you know, African-American family. And then this more like picture perfect family in this house is not a family at all, you know? And then the the only real family is probably the people under the stairs, right? That's like yeah, the right. idea that like they band together at the end. Well, spoilers, but like, you know, you can kind of guess that, but like, but, yeah. but, but that, that, oh, it's just funny too, because as violent as the people under the stairs is, and you know I'm not a horror guy. It almost didn't feel like a horror movie. Like felt like a very fun adventure comedy, which I, I, I which I, I really like. And, yeah. and you know that's the thing, Connor. My one nit to pick on this is the fact that I think you hit the nail on the head because I couldn't figure it out. I think the way they introduced the family made you already realize that when you met the people under the stairs, they were good. And I think I, you know, and. That's a good. That's you, a good you know, point. you know that they're there's something off with them, but they're probably they're victims. Gonna help, they're probably right. going to help the protagonist and their victims versus they're the the like antagonist, and you don't want to be around them because they'll kill you, like that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a really effective movie, and I'm certainly glad we we covered it. So, I mean, you know, moving kind of right along, the '90s are a boon for Craven, as we kind of already have talked about. He basically. Um, you know, after so he has a modest hit with people under the stairs. He then goes on to make um you know screams only a few years away, obviously. And in between he has um New Nightmare, Vampire in Brooklyn, which we've kind of both talked about. New Nightmare doesn't do amazingly well, but it's like a critical success and does well enough. Vampire in Brooklyn obviously kind of comes and goes. It's kind of really Beverly Hills Cop 3 and Vampire in Brooklyn is the kind of the beginning of the end of the Eddie Murphy reign in terms of box office receipts. Um, and then he'll get it back with Nutty Professor and stuff. But, you know, Eddie being like bulletproof at the box office is beginning to wane. And then immediately you get Scream and Scream 2. And basically, because of through, through the success of the Screams, Wes is able to leverage that with the Weinsteins and gets them to make music of the heart which comes out in 1999 and is like you said, kind of really other than the fireworks woman, the only 
completely non-horror slash thriller movie he makes in his career, which does earn Meryl Streep uh, an Oscar nomination. Um, it doesn't perform particularly well, basically makes half of its budget back, probably less after print advertising, you know, so it's not, but it's one of these prestige movies back when that was a, back when, back in the day, studios and production companies were willing to take a bath on those movies if it meant Oscar more. So you can kind of see, you know, those monsters, uh, those, those monster Weinsteins thinking like, oh, okay, you know, maybe we'll take a bath for West, but maybe we'll get Meryl and Oscar. Right. And so it's a modest movie. I don't know if you guys have seen music, of the heart, it's like a nice movie, you know, they're in New York city. She plays a, she plays a, a, a real woman, uh, Roberto Gaspari, who's a, a, a violinist. Um, and she, you know, she teaches kids, how to, about the music of the heart, guys? It's about. <laughs> I mean, I remember it specifically because of Ben Sink's song. So, just, oh yeah, just I saying. Think, I'm pretty I, sure they. What they, is the song? Now I need to know. Hang on, Ben Sink. Didn't they sing it with? Uh, who was it? Uh, Gloria Stefan. Yeah, she's in it. So I think you're right. It might be called "Music of My Heart" or "Music of the Heart." Oh yeah, my God. The movie's yes, "Music of yes, the Heart." Yes, it's "Music of My Heart." Music right? of My Heart. Oh, yeah. Joe, you're. I mean, look, you love horror, but if anybody boy, knows boy Joe, band all the way. yeah, you love boy bands even more. <laughs> so that that comes that kind of comes and goes, but I think it's a nice moment for Weston, just in the sense of like, I think he talks about it. I think it bothered him a little bit that like they basically had to hide the fact that he directed the movie to sell it because people yeah. were just like, "What is this?" But um, and then and then you know things. Um, so basically after that he makes Scream Three, which is you know much maligned. I think it's gotten a little bit of a reappraisal, but I think everybody agrees it's basically the worst of the four Screams right um, that he made. I know the the new one's coming out soon, and then we get to. And this is interesting. So five years go by before Curse comes out. And if... Tell us why, Dan. <laughs> if nothing else, Wes is pretty quick, right? He makes a lot of movies almost every two years yeah. or less. Prolific right? like, would be the word. Prolific yeah. is the word. Yeah. Now, Cursed, guys, is basically a Kevin Williamson script. Very generally, it's clear Williamson's trying to do kind of a scream thing for werewolves, right? Like there's, you can tell even in the patchwork version that ultimately comes out that like, that's the thought here, right? It's like Williamson's like, well, let's do werewolves. Like, let's just like, let's, let's turn the, you know, let's turn the camera. Yeah, like, what what if a werewolf movie w- knew about werewolves? Knew, knew it was a werewolf movie. Yeah. And so this movie, um, so basically the general plot of it is it takes place in LA. Uh, Christina Ricci and Jesse Eisenberg play kind of estranged siblings. There's a werewolf attack um, where poor Shannon, Shannon Elizabeth gets it uh, towards the beginning of the movie. Christina Ricci is a producer for the Late Late Show with Craig Kilborn. We all remember where we were. This movie took so long to come out. By the time it came out, Craig Kilborn was no longer the host of the yeah. show. <laughs> So that's funny. He's in the film. That's not a joke, um, too. That sounds like a joke. It's not a joke. No, it's that not really a joke. So, and basically it becomes like um, they're both scratched slash bitten by the werewolf. So they have the mark of the beast and they don't believe it. But of course, Eisenberg is like the Skeet Ulrich, Matthew Lillard, you know, character who realizes, oh, maybe we have the Pentecost on Earth thing. Like maybe it is 
really the werewolf thing. People are like, all right, whatever, kid. And um, but of course, they are turning into werewolves. Meanwhile, Josh Jackson is opening like a horror Madame Tussauds kind of a thing in LA. And he's this like playboy Josh Jackson type who I kind of wish it had just been like Josh Jackson. It almost like feels like they should have just like he should have even played himself or like, like been more meta with it, like been pacey or something. I don't know. Yeah. But like that part's kind of fun in the beginning where he's like, there's all these women he slept with or like, like the musician Maya is in this movie who replaced the musician Mandy Moore. Right. Well, because of the reshoots. Yep. So then basically things go bad is what happens with this movie. Werewolves reveal themselves. They have to, you know, kill the big bad main werewolf. So basically the thing with this movie is it got shot four times. That's that's basically true. They made the movie. They went back for reshoots. And then in the process of testing and whatnot, they ended up going back three more times. Right. The reported budget. It was initially 38. There has been reports of up to 100 million with all the math done of what it all costs, right? The fourth shoot took 20 days. I'll put it in the link to the article. Every actor talks about this movie and it's just like, I don't know what happened. Like it was, you know, it was Weinstein interference. It was a million things like that. They just... Which is crazy because you would think at that point, right? Scream this for the franchise scream has made so much money, exactly. That if you had Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven, it'd be like, Here's money, do whatever the fuck, yeah, right. Well, and the, and, right. the quote, and the quotes are interesting from like you know, from like Ricci and Judy Greer and um and Jesse Eisenberg, where they're like, We like the original script, the this movie is not the original script, like, we don't know why it got changed, and you know, to the point. To your point, Connor, there are like a significant amount of actors who filmed weeks and are not in the movie. Mandy Moore being one of them, right? Like that just ultimately because of all the reshoots yeah. could not Skeet, fit into the schedule. You mentioned Skeet Ulrich before referencing Scream, but he was originally- Was the Josh Jackson yeah, was one of the, yeah. In the original plot of the movie, roughly the same, but was essentially supposed to be three strangers- and right. uh coming together and one of them was skeet Ulrich, and um skeet Ulrich walked off of the movie i guess i'm gonna spoil Sc- scream i guess real quick yeah go ahead <laughs> if, if you have we can seen. we can also probably we'll probably can spoil yeah. curse I'll, just because i'll, it's I'll not say this like... this is our last b-side we'll obviously wrap the episode after after this so if you haven't seen cursed and you would like to I I would say watch it. I think it's actually kind of fun, but um, but we will spoil it. So you've been warned. Skeet Ulrich kind of becomes, you know, it, it is revealed that he is the ultimate werewolf and he didn't want to do it for two reasons. The main reason being he didn't want to do Scream. Right. They kind of basically shoehorned it in that there is this ending that they wound up doing with Joshua Jackson instead, where he turns out to be the ultimate villain. It doesn't really make sense with the rest of the character in any real discernible way. Yeah, it is one of the weirdest third act pivots yeah. I've ever seen and, in any movie I've it, ever seen. And, where and, it's, and, 
Yeah. And the worst part about it is, is like with these types of movies like Scream, they're in essence whodunit movies. This was the most telegraphed whodunit yeah, of, movie of course. you've ever uh, seen. Well, and until it, it's like it yeah. isn't, and then it is. It's it's very it, it's very. It strange. had it had moments where it was like this could be good, and then it switches, and then you're like, what what am I watching? And it goes back and forth with that. Yeah, I am. I mean, it reads it reads like a mess. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, the the cast itself, the cast that's in the final version today is an A list cast, and that movie was shot sixteen years. That which movie yeah, came out I mean, I said this. Ago. I said this to my wife as we were watching it because this movie, I, I think it, this movie kind of has a mixed reputation. I think of of late, people are like, "Oh, cursed, fun, right?" Like, I think it's maybe starting to get a reappraisal, but generally speaking it's got this bad reputation and we were watching it we were like and it's not a long movie we were like 45 minutes in and i was like look if this if this movie right now was fucking released by blumhouse tomorrow it would be be a hit it would be a hit people would be like cursed is so much fun right like that's what it would be and i think it's a little crazy but basically the the sort of initial reveal of the movie polls is that it's judy greer right mm-hmm. and that all that stuff i think is perfect like i think she's having a lot of fun um, yeah the scene the scene in joshua jackson's like horror like uh, entertainment pad the the maze yeah, yeah like, like, what is it a madame tussauds type thing like what yeah, is it supposed it's to be like, yeah and like uh, there's so many scenes where like the lawn cheney replicas in the background right. which i did yeah. think was funny the, in the beginning you, you can see freddie in the background the, the obvious which not. which clearly that part is when they're just blowing their budget they're just like blowing their budget on every single licensed thing that they you're right at that point. right right yeah yeah so it's it yeah so that that part of the ending with judy greer as you're saying connor is very fun i will say where it's just like she's chewing the scenery yeah yeah and, and then but then it's that but then the, there's 15 more minutes where it's it almost... suddenly joshua jackson for some reason and that's the reason when they wanted to do that ending the the weinsteins the real live werewolves um wanted to do <laughs> that ending the reason skeet ulrich walked off was because he was like wait this, you're just doing screen yeah. right like it's just the boyfriend again and i'm the boyfriend like i'm not gonna do that right yeah, yeah. and uh He's like, I'm going to be Jericho. Yeah, of I'm course. I'm going to be on the CBS show Jericho, where I know the world's ending. Jericho. <laughs> <laughs> did you, How did Julie Mecca feel about that show? Did she watch it? Uh, about Jericho? Yeah. I believe Julie Mecca was a fan of the okay. Skeet Ulrich film. Jericho. I've never watched that show. I wanted I had, to. Though. So I didn't really <laughs> watch it, but this is funny. Um, I had a roommate, God bless Greg Pollock, if you're listening. I uh, hope you're doing well. I had a roommate in Buffalo <laughs> who just binge every show to the point where he yeah i don't think greg if you're listening i don't think he ever failed but i think he didn't do well because he would just stay up all night watching seasons of shows and i remember he would just watch jericho and he would just like tell me about jericho episodes the next morning be like oh dude jericho last night dude i watched a couple episodes you'll never believe what's happening and i'm like just like getting ready for my 9 a.m class I'm like dude i got psych 101 but cool jericho i'll see you later um Anyway, Skeet Ulrich. Uh, but that's interesting, Connor. I don't think I got to that part in the reading that, that that's why he walked. Yeah, no, it, it, yeah. It, I just think that's kind of interesting because it's like what what I think is a little weird 
it, and I, I I do agree that I do think this movie is a total mess. Although I do think basically the ninety percent of it before that, like tagged on last fifteen minutes or so, comes out of the meat grinder relatively okay. Because like I said, I was mostly entertained by this movie. Um, I think. It's to your point, Joe, what was the most distressing is I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't you let them like how why would anybody just not let them make the movie? Right. Like it's just yeah. that's the thing to me that is the most wild. But um, I mean, but there's so many stories. I mean, you know, I mean, Joe, we were talking. I mean, it's like this is the weird nature of the business. Like, you know, and look, and not to keep talking about the wine scenes, but like Eli Roth told the story about like Hostel comes out. It's a huge hit. And it's bigger than anybody thought. And Bob Weinstein forced Eli Roth to release Hostel 2 in the summer. And Eli Roth kept saying to Bob Weinstein, like, that's a mistake. Like, it's still a small movie. Like, it's still a small, gnarly movie for this fan base that, like, wants it in October or, like, late September or whatever it is. And Weinstein just wouldn't be dissuade and and if you remember hostile came out hostile part two came out and like nobody saw it and that is a movie where i would argue the release did it damage if it had come out more strategically you know intelligently it probably would have you there probably would have been a hostile three not that we need a hostile three in this world but like you know i think you can point to so many examples of just like people just can't get out of their own way the egos involved the money it's also important to remember at that time dimension was kind of falling away right like that, yeah. like scream 3 didn't do as well as scream 2 not that it was scream 3's fault but like the boon that scream caused that bubble was kind of bursting so you know, I, I would guarantee you there was some of that scramble happening so you know you can well, point to and, things, i mean that happens and you're right that happens all the time because the like the new scream that's coming out is coming out in january i'm sure someone's not happy that that's not coming out in october sure you know what i mean like sure. that should be coming out in september it's october. a little i feel like the beginning of the year is a little different now than it was then though like yeah you know like jordan I mean, jordan peele releases movies in fucking february and it's fine you know like yeah um but i bet that's i bet that's their comp honestly Right, right. Yeah, sure. like the the cell is like, well, okay, get out, get out. Came out in February. Right. Got us too, numbers. right? Didn't us come out in like March? Or February, I think it came March out earlier. Yeah. Like yeah. Um, but no, you're right. I mean, Joe, exactly. I mean, the point being, like, and look, you look, schedules fill up. Halloween Kills is coming out. We don't want to compete against Halloween Kills, right? Like, whatever. Like, you know, you 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 have these things. You know, now it's like streaming services. Okay, Peacock and how you know it's like you're the, the that's a whole new thing happening where it's like. You know, you have Paramount dumping $100 million tentpole movies like Infinite starring Mark Wahlberg onto Paramount Plus in, instead of paying to release in theaters, right? So it's it, the whole thing. We're, we're living in a changing landscape, you know, um, as ever. So it's fascinating to watch these movies come out. I know people, you know, so what just to kind of, we can talk more about Curse, but like, Scream 4 is ultimately Wes Craven's final directorial credit, which is a pretty well-liked movie, though I didn't perform particularly well at the box office. But I think Scream fans really like Scream 4. Well, I think and, it also, um, I think because that movie came out, unlike the third one, I think 4 
came out at the right time for the horror industry right so like and and for a franchise built on just the the satire of the horror industry the the whole slew of remakes and things like that and and nostalgia remakes and all that stuff i feel like that gave scream 4 like a proper like oh hey we have the scream can be relevant again because it's yeah we've moved into a whole new phase of horror movies right yeah yeah i mean and then i mean i guess we should say joe you were referencing this earlier it is crazy how in the like the mid in the aughts you get the hills have i remake the last house on the left remake right and they both perform pretty well hills have eyes especially alex aja obviously basically builds on his now very eclectic career off of that movie that's the movie he makes after high tension um and he's got on to make you know obviously crawl movie i really like a lot um oxygen came out earlier this year on netflix but he's made a lot of movies the piranha movies um and so yeah even in that respect craven that's a little carpentry where like craven's able to like cash in on past ip and and um and then make scream for and then in between is my soul to take which i haven't seen we talked about maybe doing that have you seen that movie joe my soul to take yeah, I think I, I, I honestly, I think I watched half of it and then turned it off. What's it interesting, so yeah, what's interesting about that movie is obviously it's a reference to the prayer, and that prayer is in a few of his movies. Yeah, right? like it's in yeah. Last House. It's and in, I think that has something to do with just his his upbringing, upbringing yeah, of and, course, and yeah. going and going back because the other theme that he always touches on, or he tends to touch on, like you said, with family and religion, is dreams. Is obviously the surreal and playing with that that plays that plays in the scream franchise that plays in the nightmare franchise obviously but that's a recurring theme of him manifesting what terrifies you in your dreams you know, into reality you know what's funny is i believe that we mentioned you mentioned the thematic stuff with him uh, with people under the stairs i think that's one of actually his only movies that does not feature a dream sequence um, yeah i think which so. is kind of funny. does Kurt Kurt does curse have dream sequence yeah, because she has that whole dream about becoming a werewolf. It does that that quick like, like montage of becoming a werewolf. Bitten. I do. I will yeah. also say in in relation to that sort of early portion of the movie, um, I dug the werewolf effects for for most of it. You can obviously see towards the end of the movie, and as they get into the reshoots, you can see them running out of that. VFX but did you book. read though? Did you read they just they, they replaced all they just of Rick, got rid of them? Yeah. all of Rick yeah. Baker's you effects. Can, you can see that stuff in close up. Uh, and so then, crazy. And that's the stuff. I. But what's funny is I what I remembered when I remembered seeing bits of this movie is I remembered the Judy Greer effects at the end of the movie and remembering like oh yeah it doesn't look great. It's right? terrible. Right. right? Yeah. And granted, to be fair, I mean to to at least be somewhat fair to the movie, not a ton of things that were done in two thousand five look good still. So you know. True. But but True. It, it it didn't look good then either. It's the just point. wild that like you had the practical stuff and like and that is the stuff that I always boggles the, my the mind. Way, they just the, replace it. But. The reason I the reason you can tell it was affected by the reshoots as they went on though is the scene, the first real werewolf scene in the movie, other than the inciting incident, is the scene in the parking garage with Maya. Yeah, which I yeah. think is a pretty good scene, and. The werewolf looks pretty good, but they also like shoot around it. It's out of focus. And I think that's probably the only probably amazing Rick Baker work that survived, if I would assume. Uh, 
is is the close-ups on the eyes and things like that. But that's the stuff that I was like, oh, why didn't they just do this the whole time? Because like that scene works for me. Like I was like, this is great. I was like, this is so much fun. Yeah, that scene, that scene is fun. Um, you know, you know, it's, you know, it's funny. I was just thinking about it. The dream sequence specifically. Mm. I just remember when I saw it, I was like, holy shit, that's like a whole movie worth of stuff that they that they showed in that montage. And it's like, well, that's it probably, probably what they did show. A, yeah, <laughs> that's it probably, probably is a whole movie. That was one of the other like, movies that they shot. According to Dan, there's four <laughs> movies worth of stuff. Well, well, there, the was crew, like, there was like a fire. And yeah. did the, you see the fire? There was like a whole bunch of shit. Yeah. The, crew, there. the crew, when they came back for the fourth shoot, the crew made a T-shirt. I'll, I'll set a link to this. The crew made a T-shirt that said, curse four, back for more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like it's a real I'm thing i'm gonna like, need somebody out there if if anybody from like super yaki is listening you hear about all these really great crew apparel crew my, t-shirts my, my favorite yeah. one is the abyss one uh which is like oh yeah life's abyss and then you die uh because yeah. they, they hated they all hated cameron so much on that set um, yeah but i'm gonna need some sort of etsy shop or something oh god i would stuff. buy light life's believe me i've looked for it i've looked for it <laughs> the abyss is the ultimate like like dan mecca you know we we joe on this show we joke about like dan mecca core movies which are like a little like uh, modeling, Sa- saccharine, kind saccharine, of saccharine, yeah. what have you. The Abyss is like my, uh, uh, so my shit, where it's like Cameron doing amazing work, but also like <laughs> the wedding ring saves his life. You know, like where yeah, it's like, yeah. like Cameron, <laughs> that's my shit, love him. Oh, uh, but uh, anyway, dude, I would love to. I would love that T-shirt. But yeah, get us the cursed four back from yeah, T-shirts. I'll, I'm gonna do a Google after this. Um, but so, I mean, that's, that's basically Wes, right? So, I mean, Joe, what, in terms of the master of horror stuff, cause we were kind of talking about, are there any other directors, you know, a Carpenter and Craven, of course, come to mind, you know, are, are we not, are there other filmmakers in the time period we, we don't give enough credit to? What do you think? No, I, I mean, there are like, like someone like Sean S. Cunningham like he really kind of fizzled out and like kind of stuck with that one thing and never really went. I guess Toby Hooper. Yeah. He would be the, he would be the third at the time. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's, to me, it'd be newer filmmakers who have had 20 years of work or something like that. Like I always considered James Wan a master of horror. Of course. Um, Like someone, someone who comes in and like does the same thing. I always thought he was like the next version of Wes Craven and, yeah, obviously, um, he's made some not so good ones as of late. But but did you I, I not think, like? Did he did Malignant? Right, he did do. Malignant. I still I still haven't seen Malignant. Oh, yeah, okay. I, seen Malignant. Yeah. I, I was I was in production when it came out, and when I came back, I it's nowhere on streaming platforms. Like I have to find it in like the yeah. One I think it. I think it left. And, I think it left HBO Max. Uh, it'll be. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be. It'll come. It'll yeah, come. I, I can't wait to see it. But but you're right about Juan. Juan pivoted out almost the way Craven probably would have wanted to, and made like yeah. you know uh, Aquaman, Aquaman, Aquaman two. Yeah, he made uh, a, one of the he fast, made a fast one yeah. of the fast movies. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, Juan's for, a good one. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. For for me, for the Master of Horror thing, I think the reason why he deserves the title is because thinking about it from a filmmaker's perspective, he has gone through the shit over and over and over again. Mm. And I think to me, going through the ups and downs, working with a studio, being in the independent world, like he is a master of horror. He knows how to make a horror film. Now, whether people will let him continue to do that 
throughout his career as it went on. That was always the the thing. But the other thing that I want to say to you guys, I think Nightmare on Elm Street is what he's coined for being the creator of. But I think Scream is the franchise that solidifies him yeah. as a master. I, of I would I would agree with that because I think. I think what he becomes known for, if people had to put him in a box, you know, like I think what he becomes known for is the winking meta self-referential, yep. which to your point earlier, Dan, weirdly isn't entirely worthy of crediting to Craven because a lot of that, at least from the screen, it's is this Kevin Williamson, right? That said, you know, and I mentioned this to you off mic, Dan. So I rewatched New Nightmare in prep for this for the first time since I was like I'd seen it when I was 15 and, did, you know, I didn't really think about it or whatever. And I rewatched it and I fell in love with that movie because I think people look at that movie as a dry run for Scream, which it I suppose you could view it that way. But I think the difference is the Scream franchise is like an overall playful dig at horror fans and horror movies, right? Whereas like New Nightmare is like an indictment of the movie industry. And it's, I was just like, I, I knew the meta stuff from it from the first time I had watched it, but I obviously like didn't know enough about the industry at the time to like really fully appreciate it. And rewatching it, I was like, oh, like this... It, I thought about it in conjunction with people under the stairs because it just almost, you know, and I guess I also wasn't as familiar with Wes Craven as I was, say, John Carpenter. But I was just like, oh, this motherfucker was so smart. Like, and it's just you. I look at a thing to your point about the ups and downs, Joe, that I agree with is that I look at something like New Nightmare and like what a fucking baller move to be like, cool, if you're going to get me to come back to this fucking franchise I'm going to do this and I'm just going to make a whole movie. That's just like a big middle finger to you and you and you and you like, and and it's this like really wonderful creative thing. And, and ironically might not be the, I guess ironically applies. He saves the character, right? Like, like, like he saved Freddy as a character with New Nightmare, right? Because yeah. that really Freddy Freddy's Zed was supposed to be the end, right? Right, and it also felt like the end, right? Because it wasn't. Yeah, it was tired. It didn't do particularly well, and then New Nightmare spurs it, and then you get the Freddy versus Jason movie, which I I, I know is kind of some people like, some people don't like the Ronnie U movie, and I then um, yeah, a lot of people like it. It's a fun movie. It. I've seen it, and then yeah, it's a fun movie, and then um, and then you get the you know Jack Earl Haley coming yeah. yeah in the remakes. I mean, you get you get more, and I think that's 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 credit to what Craven and New Nightmare probably. I think uh, the thing that I really love about because and that's again why I think Scream is the franchise that solidifies mm. him is because what we know of what we are synonymous with Freddy Krueger is humor. And that's the one thing that he got over the mythology of all the movies. And that's the one thing that Wes Craven did not want him to have. Right. That's why sure. he made New Nightmare. He did not want him to be funny. But again, to his credit, like everyone else was doing. And this actually might be the reason why Nightmare on Elm Street hasn't been able to be rebooted and also hasn't made as much money as the other franchises. Which is also the same reason why it's good is because he wanted an actor and he wanted a face versus having just... A mask. Yeah, like he wanted a he wanted a character. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So 
Yeah, I mean, he, he gets the he gets the heart master of horror for creating that character and for the Scream franchise, in my opinion. And actually, let me correct myself because I just looked it up to make sure, and I will say, Freddy's Dead did actually pretty well. So, um, I mean, they they all did well. They it's all just did by well. Standards and of like, I I don't know. It did it did it was it on a decline? Was it on a decline? No, no, it did well. Six? But I think I think to give my to give the point maybe a little bit of credence critically new nightmare you know the direction it went felt fresh i think that's definitely true where like you could still credit it kind of re- literally reviving the character so that it, it went on is true but it, i just didn't want to act like freddy's dead was like some big bomb because it was it wasn't it, it did fairly well but um anyway yeah um i guess final thoughts on craven Trying to think if I have any final thoughts. I was just, I found myself, as like I said, not a horror guy, thoroughly impressed going through, watching his interviews, watching his films, you know, the people under the stairs being the standout. But even, you know, watching The Hills Have Eyes, watching Last House on the Left, you know, um, begrudgingly, mind you, but, you know, watching them and <laughs> finding things to like and be disturbed by. Um and even Swamp Thing being like a very pleasant surprise and plenty of things incursed for all the problems being memorable. How I think, would you rank them, Dan? I mean, you know, it would be people under the stairs, Swamp Thing and Cursed, right? It would be the, my ranking. And then, you know, it's sad. You know, he died fairly young. I think I'm sure, that there, there, there would have been more from him. I think that's, you know, I one thing I want to mention, a movie I absolutely love that he made was Red Eye. Oh, sure. I love I love Red Eye, um, which that that came out in 05. Um, and that's like a small little firecracker movie with Reggie McAdams and uh, Killian Murphy, which that's I mean, that's not even I, I, I call that a thriller. I mean, that's not even really a horror movie. I really like that one. So anyway, that, that's my that's my West thoughts. Joe, what about you, Joe? What do you think? Um, I look back on him as, you know, as an, an originator, as like I said, I. If I mean, I have the most art on my body of characters that are movies that Wes Craven has directed. So there's definitely a, you a have part a, you of have them. A, you have a Judy Greer as a werewolf. I have a Judy, I have a Judy Greer as a werewolf, and uh, and I have a roach uh, from People Under the Stairs. Nice. A roach. Oh my <laughs> god! You know what's so um, funny? That actor Roach. Do you know what he's? He looks mo- familiar. Do you know who's what his most famous thing is? Okay, he is the actor. Oh wait, 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 wait. wait. It's not a movie. Shit, I, I, it's not a movie. Okay. But but you're gonna okay. know it. He is the actor in the original and iconic Michael Bay directed Got Milk commercial. Yes, that's him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is Iron one Burr. of the best commercials <laughs> ever made. Yeah. I'll, I'll link to it. Well, I won't link to it because there's not gonna be a place for it. But I would encourage people if you're listening, Google Got Milk commercial Michael Bay. It it's, might be Michael Bay's best story-driven directed piece. <laughs> Honestly, that's that, yeah. that's not a stretch at all to say that, that that might be. It's such a great, you know, who who killed Alexander Hamilton? Um, anyway, uh, Connor, over to you. That dude's eating a peanut butter fucking sandwich without any milk. What's the fucking Ellen matter with it's the, so I, great? I it's always so thought it was the dumbest fucking commercial because I'm like, why don't you have milk anyway? He's got you got. I feel like if I thought, was to make, he thought he had milk. If I was he, to make a big old sloppy peanut butter sandwich, I feel like the first fucking thing I'd make sure I had anyway. Whatever. You know what? I'm not even. <laughs> the episode's over. Goodbye. We can't all be as smart as you, Connor. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. No. I I just want to echo your thoughts, Dan. I mean, I. 
you know, I'm, I don't consider myself a horror person as someone in terms of like, I'm not like some horror fans who, you know, like watch anything and like, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but I feel like horror fans more than a lot of other genres of fans will just digest the shit out of like anything they can get their hands on. That's not me. I kind of wait to see what sticks and then like, you know, I'll be like, oh, okay, this is like seemingly good. I'll watch it. But he kind of always was a a blind spot for me. So I really enjoyed doing this because even the ones that I didn't entirely love, some of his earlier stuff, uh, I still was was like impressed by it, like you mentioned, Dan. So and, uh, you know, rediscovering Cursed, I, I really enjoyed. I think I'd probably agree with your ranking, though. I do think this is one of those situations where, like, I would happily recommend all three of our B-sides to anybody who asked. So that's nice. Um, that said, uh, Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. And everybody uh, should. Yeah. Everybody should watch Unknown Dimension, the story of paranormal activity. Everybody should watch Hell House LLC, as we mentioned. It's awesome to have you on. This was a long time coming. It was great to talk about Wes Craven with you, among other things. Joe, where can people um, find you? Where can people find you, Joe? People can find me. Should I give them my address? I'm just kidding. Um, so <laughs> LA. people can people can find me uh, on Instagram at the Chosen Joey or on Facebook at the Chosen Joey. I tried Twitter. I'm not great at it. Yeah, so leave it. Yeah, no, kind of stay you're, away from you're it. fine. You're fine, buddy. Yeah, you're just fine. Leave In- it. Instagram. Instagram. All the, right. The big one. Right. So so find the find Chosen Joey. I love but, that handle. Yeah. But thank you guys. I, I appreciate you guys having me on. I've wanted to come on for such a long time. So this was a lot of fun, and I appreciate you doing a horror one for me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Thank dude. you for your insight. And Dan, where? But oh, go ahead. I was going to say for future ones, I'll do more than horror. Oh, well, yeah, I'm, you're I'm, like Wes Craven. You're I'm like, more, I can do more. more. <laughs> I can do more. I can do music of the yeah. heart. Um, <laughs> like, I will teach these kids about the violin if I <laughs> if you give me the chance. <laughs> All I need is the chance. Um, you can find me at DJ Mac on Twitter. Um, we're, as we are recording, we're planning a couple cool B-side things that you'll see soon. I have a couple reviews coming out for some fun movies for the Film Stage website, obviously. And that's where you can find me. And um, Connor, as always, I'll pass it over to you um, to wrap us up. And yeah, thank you, Joe, one more time. And Connor, uh, send us out. Away we go. Um, So yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Scruffy Looking. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at TFSB side. If you've liked what you heard, please do rate, review and subscribe wherever you are listening. It helps us out a ton more than you could know. uh, So we really do appreciate it if you can do that. If you have any questions, comments or concerns, you can uh, shoot us an email at B-side, B-S-I-D-E, at thefilmstage.com. And uh, we will be, ha- we have a couple, I guess, quick plug. We did our bonus episode with the return of Alessandro Nivola to the podcast. So check that out if you haven't listened to it. Um, that mm-hmm. was a fun conversation. And uh, we also obviously just recently wrapped up our James Bond two-parter. So you can check that out as well. Um and we have a couple we have a few other fun things coming down the pipe that uh you'll you'll be hearing about um other than that uh what else oh you know i got some stuff uh you can find me on the film stage i'll be reviewing uh the eternals uh Uh, i believe it's just eternals oh oh, sorry Sorry. shows how much i know um 
That'll, that should show you something. Drop the the. It's, it's cleaner. It's cleaner. You, you, could see, you could see where the direction of that review is Yeah, going. exactly. <laughs> some, some spoilers. Um, <laughs> but, Connor's like, what was it called? Yeah, what? Who is what? <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, until then, enjoy your Halloween, everybody. And we, we hope you get all the candy and treats that you are craving. <laughs> I knew you were going there the minute. <laughs>